You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bonies, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bonies. I love Christmas. I love buying cards and gifts. I'm not so keen on the wrapping up, but we've got a system, haven't we, hubby? He wraps a bow and ribbons and things, you know, so, and and tags, I write the tags. Um, But you know, I love shopping. (laughs) Those of you who know me know that's true. I'm trying really hard at the moment not to do so much shopping, but I love shopping. And I love when I get that moment when I think I've really cracked it for that person. I have got the perfect present because I love Christmas. Um, I have to say, I also like getting presents. I love the little gifts as well as the big ones. I love when it's homemade or a child has made it. Um, And just that thoughtful gift that says, you're my friend. I love you. I chose this because you're special to me. It doesn't have to be a big gift. Tiny little gifts can say that. I also love trying to guess what's inside the parcel. So, you know, I bet some of you do it as well. You know, you give it a wee shake. um, You have a wee feel of it. uh, But do you know what? I never open anything until Christmas Day. Um, I'm very careful. So when I'm... um, when I'm trying to feel what it might be, or I know I'm a very strange woman here, but when I'm trying to figure out what it is, I don't really want to know, because I like on Christmas morning for everything to be a surprise. I know, if I do guess, do you know what? I'm really annoyed at myself. So I don't know why I bother, but crazy or what, I know. But I love Christmas. I love when people tell me that they like what I've bought for them because I know then I actually did crack it, which is great. Um, I particularly like what Marks and Spencers and Auntie Bessie produce for Christmas dinner. (laughs) And the reason that I really like what they produce is because when I follow what they do or I just heat up what they've said, um, actually it looks as if I'm an okay cook because... I'm not, (laughs) Um, but I really like having Christmas in my own house. And I love decorating the house from top to bottom. Did I mention that I love Christmas? (laughs) I love decorating the house and my poor minimalist husband who I see sitting at the back at the moment shaking his head, he really has to suffer because he really indulges in in me. Um, Because when I take things out the loft, and I'm ready to put them on the tree or somewhere else uh, around the house, it's like welcoming old friends back for a month. (laughs) Because all those decorations and trimmings, they really remind me of people or of places, because I like to buy all year, not just at Christmas. So all these places that I've been or visits or people visiting me, it reminds me of those places. So no wonder I love Christmas. But you know, throughout my working life, I stayed true to one golden rule. And those of you who know me know what this rule is. There's not a mention of the word, the C word, until the 1st of December. Now that's because 
45 years experience of teaching in a primary school drummed into me, as soon as you mention the word Christmas, you can kiss goodbye to all your plans and your targets and any teaching that you really wanted to do because people's minds, children's minds are only taken up with one subject and it's nothing to do with Jesus. It's all to do with Santa Claus. Oh my goodness. And once he's in the room, you can forget everything else. And really, I'm only okay today sharing this with you because I'm aware it's the 20th of November and this goes against the grain, but I know that all our primary kids are down in that kids' church and they're pretty safe. All our preschoolers are doing what all our preschoolers do and there definitely doesn't involve listening to me, so we're fine. We're fine. Because I'm thinking of all the nursery and primary teachers that I know up and down the land who are just saying, it's far too early to be talking about Christmas. But you know what? I'm retired. And do you know, I really love Christmas. So in the words of Lisa Holmes, who was the speaker at the uh, Kyria conference in Perth last Saturday, she said, and it's never too early to speak about Christmas. So that's going to be my anthem from now on. So welcome to week one of our Christmas at Riverview. You should all have this little card. Make sure you've got one that you take it away. Tells you everything that's happening throughout the Christmas season. And today you saw that first screening of our video that we'll be playing at every Christmas thing that we have in the lead up to Christmas and I expect on the actual day. Beautiful video um, that Tom had made for us. And uh, we'll be doing that because we want to remember the greatest gift that was ever given and celebrate our Saviour born on, in Bethlehem, Emmanuel, God with us, because that's the most amazing thing about Christmas. On Sundays, we are going to be concentrating on Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 1 to 7. Um, you will know it very well, but let me read it, the whole thing for you just now, because I think you'll find it's been read every week until Christmas. So it says there, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Uh, sorry, um, dividing the plunder. Sorry, lost my place there. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever. I only have two verses to speak on this morning, and they are those first two verses. You have to wait for the next instalment to next week, when I think it's Andrew um, that is going to be preaching. Those two verses say, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. That's amazing. No more gloom. So, Tom told you last week that the overarching theme for this time is peace to us. And I'm sorry that Andrew's slipped out just now because it would be a big shout out to Andrew for this amazing um, sign that's here and will be lit up um, all through our Christmas period. Now, I have to tell you, I have read this scripture literally hundreds of times, I'm sure, over the years. And I, I, my, my translation of choice would always be the New International Version. And that's been the case for donkey's years. But I have to tell you, I have never noticed those words, no more gloom, before. You'll be saying, oh, Margaret, for goodness sake. But that's the truth. I hadn't noticed them. And as soon as I read them, knowing that this was the scripture I was going to speak on, as soon as I read them, it came to mind all those marches during the, I think it was the 60s and 70s, um, where we had students waving placards that said, no more war. And they went out in force because they, were, they, wa- they wanted to call an end to soldiers being so- sent off uh, to fight in wars across the world. And then, of course, Uh, I know know a lot of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but um, John Lennon came along and it became uh, his best-selling song, Give Peace a Chance. And it was that that kind of picture that it was conjuring up for me. Um, The sentiments of that were great, but they were completely missing the point because the only way of finding true and lasting peace we know is found in God because peace is actually a person, and his name is Jesus. So no more gloom is Jesus reigning in hearts and lives. Can you just think what it would be like if the whole world knew Jesus as Savior and Lord? There would be no more war. There would be no fighting, because Jesus would be first. The book of Isaiah is an amazing book. It's a fascinating book, to study, and I know lots of you will have have read it many times, but did you know that the documents of Isaiah are among the most attested of all the books in the Old Testament? And that's because the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in Qumran in Israel in 1948 included a copy of the book dating back to 100 BC. So this book wasn't written, um, we we can't start and think, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe they changed a bit here and there, because this was 100 years before Jesus that this was written, um, that that these, sorry, that this, uh, the scroll was found with the book of Isaiah on it. And if if you go and visit Israel, if you go to Jerusalem and the museum there, there's a whole special Um, beautiful building that's given over to the Dead Sea Scrolls. You don't see the actual original ones, obviously, because they want to make sure they're kept very safe. Um, But there are copies of it, and they're quite amazing to see. I think Isaiah is an amazing book for a number of reasons, and one of which is whichever Jewish scholar put 
divided Isaiah up into chapters because it wasn't written in chapters. It was written just as a, as a, as a one piece of writing over a long time. But whoever did that, whether they deliberately did it or not, they put it into 66 chapters. Why do you think I'm finding that interesting? 66 chapters in Isaiah. Come on, somebody guess. 66 books in the Bible. Great, okay, so there's 66 books. And then they took the book and they further divided it. Whether they realized it or not, they divided it with the first 39 chapters telling how, what God was going to do with this people um, because they were being defiant. They weren't doing what he was, was wanting them to do. They weren't looking to him. They were trying all sorts of other ways. So the thir first 39 um, chapters of the book deal with what, how God's going to deal with them. And the second 27 chapters is how they will be brought back into the land after they've been in exile. So it's full of encouragement. So we have 39 and then we have 27. Now I know loads of you will have noticed all this before, but let me tell you, it was a revelation to me and I was amazed because I had heard somebody say that in effect, Isaiah took the whole Bible and put it into one book. It's like a Bible in miniature. The prophet Isaiah has been called the evangelist of the Old Testament for good reason. So here we are in chapter nine. Isaiah has been prophesying to the people of God. Remember the people of God that, that, um, that were chosen. God chose them to be his special people. And he, he's been prophesying to them and he's telling them that God is none too pleased with them. And there are going to be consequences for their actions. Now, we don't really like to think about consequences when we're thinking about God. We much prefer to dwell on the good things that God has in store for us all. And there's many, and we delight in that. But here's God really condemning the leadership of the nation because they're not leading as they should. Instead of calling out to God when there's trouble, what do they do? They make alliances with the other pagan nations around them. They consult with the ungodly. They turn to idols. They, they turn to the occult. And God is really angry. This is his people. He's chosen them so that they can be light to the world, to the Gentiles, and live according to God's law. He's given them every opportunity to turn away from those things. And they've paid no attention at all. And now, he says... There are consequences. In among all his anger, and this is amazing, Isaiah is still able to bring two beautiful prophetic words about a Messiah who's going to come and is going to save his people. And it's not just in the chapter that we're looking at today, which is the most famous one, I would think, but also in chapter seven. So God sent Isaiah to meet with the king, King Ahaz, and he's to tell him not to be afraid because God is still in control. Do you know, when things are all going wrong, it's easy to think God's let this slip somehow. But we have to believe that God always has a plan. And God had a plan. Yes, exile was going to happen, but God had a plan. But Ahaz, 
all the arrogance of the man. He refused to listen to God, as if that would make any difference to what God would do. So God turned away from Ahaz, and he gave this sign to the whole house of David. And we know that sign was completely fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. But I'm running a wee bit ahead of myself. So, 39 chapters of death, defeat, conflict, war, distress, and exile. And then, 27 chapters bringing consolation, encouragement to those returning captives. But it was going to take a long time. But isn't it, and isn't it, isn't it a great pity that they didn't just turn to God in the beginning? They could have gone to him and saved themselves all this ordeal. But people do love to go their own way, do things their own way. Not just then, but now as well. Because I know that I'm just the same as those Israelites. The amount of times when I know that I need to go to God and what do I do? I try to figure it out myself. I try to do it the way I think it would work best. Well, it is, we, we are just the same as those Israelites, but the leader, and leaders, we look at leaders today, usurping power, lining their own pockets, making sure it's all right for the rich ones and, and never mind the poor. You know, those just failing completely to do what God has said. And isn't that happening? Isn't that what's happening in Ukraine today? And, and in many other nations around the world as well. Yemen, Myanmar, people usurping power. Tom and Jess are in four different churches today preaching and, te- and, and encouraging. Um, and you heard that already, but you know, they're going into places. We've seen what they've put on to connect over the, over the last week. Um, people in a terrible situation. I'm worried about making sure that Christmas dinner is okay. And then we saw those pictures of people, you know, trying to feed a hundred and they have a tiny little gas stove. People in terrible situation there because a man, a country, is trying to grab more land for themselves, usurping power, killing and maiming wherever, whoever gets in his way. So we're praying for Tom and Jess that God will really use them to bring hope that somehow or other we believe God is still in control and he will win in the end. There's no other way it can happen. God will win in the end. It was a hard to understand situation for ordinary Israelites in Isaiah's day and the same is true for Ukraine's people today. We pray God will bring them encouragement as he used Isaiah in his day. Remember, um, when we're looking at uh, Isaiah here, that Judah and Israel had separated and they were two different nations at this point in history. And Judah was a place of great darkness. But in among all the gloom and the doom comes a rich prophetic word about the coming of a deliverer. So encourage yourself this morning, child of God, because that's who you are, It's all there in the book of Isaiah. We're just concentrating on seven verses in chapter one to look at his birth. But you know, if you read on in Isaiah, you find Christ's life is there. You find Israel's rejection of Christ is there. All there in black and white, written 700 years before Jesus came and the promise was fulfilled. 
The verses that we're looking at today bring hope for this nation going its own way. They will enjoy peace and joy and love again. It's coming in the shape of a baby born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is in that area that was called Zebulun and Naphtali. They had been, they had been humbled. They'd been through a time of great darkness, but God honored that and now brought the savior of the world to this Galilee area. If only they had recognized him, there would be no more gloom. As God came to earth in the form of a man, completely God, completely man at the same time. That's beyond our understanding, but we know that that's the truth. Do you know, when we go and we look at the Old Testament prophets, we need to keep two principles in mind. So the prophets saw Christ coming in humiliation and in, in glory, but they didn't see anything at all about the age of the church. They were able just to, to say what God was going to do in bringing Jesus. But the second thing is each prophecy that comes grew out of a definite historical situation that looked beyond their present day into the future. And that's what we see happening throughout Isaiah, but particularly in these verses too. Isaiah's dealing with a very difficult crisis in the history of Judah and in Israel, the impending attack of Assyria. And then Israel will be defeated by Assyria. And then the Babylonians come in and take them all captive. You know, to fully appreciate the setting, we need to look back a bit at the final verses of chapter eight. It really sounds to me like Isaiah is one of these people that likes to um, speak his thoughts out loud. Do you know, sometimes that helps us. I know particularly if I'm trying to remember a number, if I say it out loud, I'm more likely to remember it and I'm trying to keep it in, in my head. But he, he works in that kind of way because sometimes that helps us make more sense and he, he does that. So, but he also wants his own followers and there were people that followed Isaiah because they knew he was hearing from God. There were people listening and acting on what Isaiah said. And Isaiah wants them to be fully aware of what's going to happen because they weren't going to be exempt from the pain and the suffering. As darkness comes over the land, they're going to, it's going to engulf them as well. If they're aware of, this, of what's happening, then they'll pass the message on to future generations so that they could respond differently. You know, in exactly the same way as that second generation leaving Egypt did and were able to enter the promised land. But note, Isaiah's not pinning all his hopes on what his followers would do. He's trusting God to do what he's promised. He's trusting God because he knows that God will never, ever let him down. Really important that we trust God in every situation, even when it seems that everything is going on around because he always has the best in mind for his people. Remember the children of Israel going round and round in the desert until the older generation died off because of unbelief? 40 years they wandered in that desert undertaking a journey that should have taken about two weeks. And they were 40 years there because the people of Israel who had seen God move in mighty ways were not listening and then started to complain and not trust God. 
Well, there's a message there for us golden oldies sitting here today. That's us, Eve. We're the golden oldies now. I remember the days when we were the young ones, but here we are. This is what it is. But let's make sure we never hold back. Let's keep trusting. When God's saying something new, we can trust him because he knows what he's doing. We long for God to move in bonus. We want to see people brought into his kingdom here. And we don't want to hinder any move of God from happening. We want to see God move as soon as possible. And we need to trust. We need all to trust God and see his promises fulfilled in his own perfect timing. Here's the faithfulness of God. Those areas that we've spoken about in Isaiah 9, those areas up in the north of Israel, they suffered most when the prophetic word was fulfilled and Assyria captured them but they were the ones who saw the light of Messiah first. They would go through a difficult period in their history. Judah was on its own at this time, and among their attackers, Israel was one of them. It must have broken God's heart. But there were many nations against them. There was Syria, there was Philistia, Edom, Ammon, and Assyria which would eventually all be rooted out by the Babylonians. And then the 12 tribes would be reunited once more, Judah and Israel becoming one Israel. And God proclaimed that then there would be no more gloom. No more gloom means no more darkness, no more war, no more bloodshed, no more death, no more hell, because the savior of the world would come. And for us, he has come. We are able to look back. Hindsight's a marvelous thing. Do you know, when, when, when we were living in Israel, um, we were in Jaffa, which was Tel Aviv. It was very built up. It was very, very busy. And we really loved nothing more than to get out of the city into the countryside. And where did we always head for? Galilee. It's an amazing place. So much calmer, so peaceful. And think, I think one of the things that we really liked was that as you looked out over the Sea of Galilee, it would be pretty much what Jesus would have been seeing as well because it's not all built up. Any sites you go to, yes, there's a church plant on it, but you know, take away from that, actually just looking around the whole area of Galilee, it was absolutely beautiful. And I have to say that Nazareth, one of the Gentile places, was one of my favorite places in Israel. The whole area is prophesied against by Isaiah, but it's also the place to be raised up first. They'd been in terrible darkness, but, by the, the, but that time was to end and light was coming. A king would come like no other and he would reign. We're still waiting on that coming, but we know that it will come. He's come once, he'll come again. And others will preach on his reign in this series, but suffice for me to say from verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It began as a star shining brighter than any other that had ever been seen before or since. The star would bring Gentile, learned men, scholars who studied the stars, wise men coming from the east, where they knew that they were coming to find a king like no other king. It would bring angels from the courts of heaven. Not your fluffy, cute wee things that you find on Christmas cards, 
but warriors, strong warriors from God himself to proclaim Messiah's birth to lowly shepherds, Jewish shepherds at work in the fields around the town. That's why they were terrified. Not because little fluffy angels appeared that were just cute as they come, but because warriors came to proclaim the Savior had been born. It's a light we have seen because we've seen the Savior of the world. It brought news of great joy for all people and all time. And it's an amazing word that we have in verse one of Isaiah nine. It says, nevertheless, it's almost as good as but. And you people know how much I love the buts in scripture. There's a complete change of mind leaving chapter eight and moving into chapter nine. And it is this part that stays as being this big encouragement. It then goes back to being, there's a lot of things to come before that. But nevertheless is needed here because we leave the heaviness and the utter darkness of chapter eight. And now we're greeted with no more gloom. Only possible because of the confidence and the goodness and the unconditional love Isaiah has for his God. His gaze shifts from the awful predicament of his nation, that his nation's in because of their blatant disregard of God and his word to total belief in the sovereignty over the nation and he knows the future is secure because God has a plan. By faith, he sees a total reversal of all that's happening. He sees it now affected only by the amazing grace of God. He sees devastation give way to glory. Those being judged now will see the mercy of God, darkness giving way to light as God sends his own son, the light of the world, to dispel the darkness forever. Hope for all mankind, Jew and Gentile. No mistake that the declaration of Christ's birth came to both Jew and Gentile. Our God is for all mankind. No wonder Matthew draws our attention to the fact that it was in this northern area of Israel that Jesus first came on the scene and where most of his ministry happened on earth. This oracle of salvation is the whole climax from darkness to light. There's just so much to discover in these seven verses proclaiming the coming of Messiah, Jesus. But that's the job of the next preachers. I love the way that Isaiah just changes tenses to reflect his bold confidence as he proclaims what God is going to do. This man has no doubts. I want to live like that. I want to live with no doubts about what God has said he will do happening. We've been able, we have been able to see it happening, whereas Isaiah, he was predicting, he was prophesying what God spoke to him. He heralded it for future happening. And we look back and see that it did happen. In anticipation of no more gloom, Isaiah proclaimed Messiah's birth. But his book is full of so much more of what Jesus would do and achieve throughout his life on earth. If you read Isaiah, you find John the Baptist is in there. You find Christ's anointing by the Spirit, all in there. His ministry to the Gentiles, all in there. His suffering and death, his resurrection and his coming again, all recorded in this amazing book written 700 years before Jesus actually came. 
Do you know, even today, the Jews are very anxious about Christians quoting from this book because it so obviously points to Jesus with his whole message of redemption for the whole world. When, when we lived in Israel, we attended a, a church called All Nations Church. And one of the pastors there um, was, was Jewish. Um, he was American as well. Um, and it, it, when um, he, t- he told how his father became a Christian on his deathbed because the father was dying and the family had all been called and they were all there with him. And Seth's dad asked him to read from um, scripture as he lay in bed. But he said to him, but none of that New Testament stuff, because I don't want to hear that nonsense, read to me from the scriptures. So Seth began to read and he read from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. Surely he took up our infirmities. He was crushed for our iniquities. No, no, Seth's dad shouted at him. I don't want to hear the New Testament nonsense. So Seth told him, I'm reading from Isaiah. And his father knew in that instant that that Jesus was the son of God. And on his deathbed, he gave his life to Jesus all there in black and white, written 700 years before Jesus came. And it shouts out Jesus Christ all through it. Our God wants relationship with the people he gave gave life to. And the only way that could happen was for him to come to where we were. We couldn't do anything about the sin problem on our own. It took our God to come in the form of a man to take our punishment by dying for every one of us. Verse two is my testimony. I was walking in darkness and I saw a great light. I was living in the land of the shadow of death, but a light has come and nothing will ever be the same again because now there is no more gloom. I love Christmas for all the reasons that I said at the beginning, but mostly because I can celebrate the greatest gift ever given, my savior, Jesus, come into the world to save sinners, came into the world to save me. What are you getting for Christmas? If you don't know Jesus, you can open your heart to him right now, because right now he's here and he wants you to know no more gloom. You don't need to suffer all that gloom. Bad things will still happen. Things will go wrong in your life or you think they're going wrong, but Jesus will walk through it with you. Jesus will always have you by the hand and you can always trust him even in the hardest times. You can always trust him that he's there with you and nothing has gone out of control. He's there. And if you do know him, Well, this Christmas, let's just trust him a little bit more. I'm speaking to me as much as you. Let's just trust him a little bit more because I know that as you give to him, he'll be faithful and you'll prove what an amazing God he is. You know, some, I think, think, well, it's okay for the leaders up there. They're wired up somehow different. Do you know we're not? We just love Jesus and you love Jesus. You love Jesus with all your heart. 
So just reach out and let him take that you one step further and you'll find what an amazing God he is, how alive his word is. That book written 700 years before Jesus was born and yet it is just absolutely the Bible, the gospel packed into one book, the Bible in miniature. If you read nothing else, read Isaiah and find Jesus. This is what is peace for us. Let's just pray.